0: This is Terry Beatley, your host of What If We've Been Wrong? I'm shining light into some dark places so that beauty, goodness, and truth defeat the schemes of the enemy. It's true, people are perishing for lack of knowledge, and we're instructed to have nothing to do with the evil deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what I do on What If We've Been Wrong? Rethink, explore, and uncover some hidden truths so that more people can experience an abundant life and the joy of being set free from the shackles that hold us in prison. Welcome to What If We've Been Wrong. All right, I want you to walk this dog with me. Imagine losing the United States Constitution under what's called Sharia law. Uh, Sharia law is promoted by radicalized Islam and we've got millions and millions of people around the world who believe in sharia law and they are setting out to try to take down the united states of america this is not just an idea they're literally implementing things right now this has been going on for years and years and it is time for the american public to wake up and to start caring sometimes i feel like we're almost you know we're spoiled we're so used to uh, life and freedom and and uh, prosperity in the United States of America, but there are enemies of our country, and they are here. They are within. They're within our government. They're in our school system. Um, they're they've been planted all over the country. Uh, they're in media. They're in entertainment, and every different facet that you can imagine. Well, my guest today is Frank Gaffney. Frank is the founder and president of the Center for Security Policy in Washington DC, which is a nonprofit organization. He and his organization, they are leading the country in trying to teach the public, teach the media, uh, reach out and not only teach, but get to respond You know, our elected officials Uh, So that American liberty can be preserved under the United States Constitution. Frank is an expert in Sharia law uh, and the threat to America, uh, which happens to be the the name of his book, uh, Sharia, the Threat to America. And he's the publisher of over a dozen other books and monographs from the Center for Security Policy Press. Back in 1987, Mr. Gaffney was nominated by President Reagan to become the Assistant Secretary of Defense for International Security Policy, the senior position in the Defense Department with responsibility for policies involving the the United States and the USSR relations, and a whole host of other things. Um, Frank, uh, with his organization, with a tremendous uh, board of directors and a staff right there in Washington, D.C., um, they are leading the fight. They're leading the fight against the United States being morphed into a Sharia law state. And so Frank, I welcome you to the show and we're gonna jump right into these questions. You know, what is Sharia? What is, you know, radicalized Islam? Um, so let's just open it up with that. Can you explain to us the, the you know, what, is the, what are the basics of Sharia that you would want every American to know?
1: Sharia is a term that is not familiar to most Americans. It is what I consider to be the DNA of uh, Islam. Uh, it is made up of uh, the holy texts of the Quran, uh, the uh, Hadiths, um, and other writings by or about um, uh, Muhammad uh, that make up. Uh, a path, as it's called, for all faithful Muslims to follow. And this Sharia path, if you will, um, has uh, a sort of a thin veneer of religiosity to it. That is to say, it tells people how many times they have to pray, in which direction, what they say when they do it, what they wash, what they eat, what they don't eat, and so on. The rest of it, though, is a political, military, legal doctrine uh, or ideology, if you will, code that is intended to govern all aspects of a Muslim's life. And while there are lots of Muslims who don't follow that path, who don't practice their faith in accordance with Sharia, that don't seek to impose it on anybody else there are many hundreds of millions of Muslims who do in fact the authorities of the faith say that is the true faith Mm -hmm. and that's what you're supposed to do and that's the problem is that that code is completely at odds with the constitution the form of government the freedoms and values of the United States of America. So if you're dealing with a Muslim who feels that it's God's direction that they follow Sharia, meaning that they have to impose it on everybody else, uh, as well as follow it themselves, um, that is a problem. That is a problem for us individually as American citizens. It is a problem for the country as a whole.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, I've heard the argument before, oh, Frank, it's just a small percentage of Muslims who believe in-, in Sharia. Well, do the math for our listeners. Even if it is a small amount, what does that really amount to?
1: Well, I, as I said, it's hundreds of millions of people, I think, conservatively. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not a small amount in my book. Uh, and the number of people within that subset of the total Muslim population, uh, who are prepared to act on what Sharia commands them to do, which is engage in jihad or holy war. Uh, Maybe far smaller than the total number of Sharia-adherent Muslims, but say it's a couple of million. Maybe it's, you know, a hundred million. Whatever it is, it's a large number, and it's Right. dangerous, because they they not only believe it's God's will that they impose Sharia on everybody else, they're willing to use any means necessary to accomplish that, up to and including violence.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, I think for a lot of Americans, you know, they're living out in the country, and life is good, and this hasn't affected them. But then again, every once in a while, we hear about a no-go zone. Um, and I'd like to actually jump into that, because it's time to take the blinders off our eyes, meaning thinking that, oh, well, we're in America and we're fine, we're, we're, we're safe, but the enemy is within. The enemy's been placed. And so, um, actually, before we get into the no-go zone, can you give us some of the evidence that the enemy has been placed in high levels? Uh, you Because know, right now it's 2018. We had eight years of Barack Hussein Obama, and a lot of bad things happened during that time frame. Can you walk us through some that you believe are, are some of the most important revelations of where these people were placed?
1: Sure. Before I do that, though, let me just make one observation. Uh, for a lot of people, as you say, who aren't particularly steeped in this or who have other things going on in their lives and therefore not closely paying attention to what's happening. uh, It may sound as though it's impossible for a big country like the United States to be profoundly affected by what would in the first instance at least be relatively small numbers of these Sharia supremacists. But I say to them, Look at what 's happening in Europe, right, and the numbers are are in some cases small in some cases they're they're getting to be larger and larger. but the numbers of Sharia supremacists who are now operating in europe uh, is such that it is transforming mm. many of the countries of europe right. fundamentally transforming, as Barack Obama likes to say. But it's having an effect that is changing them in some ways beyond recognition, where people do not have the freedom of speech. Um, It is dangerous to assemble. Women and and girls are being assaulted regularly. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are honor killings. There's female genital mutilation. Um, You know, there's pressure on the government for more and more accommodations to these people. There are no go zones. Now are all those things happening in this country? Well, yes, to some extent they are. Not, it's not as obvious. Right. It's not as uh, frequent, but they are happening here, and we ignore them at our peril. Uh, examples of how that's, you know, uh, manifesting itself here uh, include things like honor killings. There was somebody down in Texas convicted of an honor killing just the other day. Um, one of my colleagues um, pointed out to me recently that uh, there are. Estimated by the Centers for Disease Control, 513,000 women and girls in America who have either already been subjected to female genital mutilation or will be.
0: Really? 513,000. 513, oh, my goodness. Over
1: half a million. Mm-hmm. And that number is probably low, to be honest with you. I mm-hmm. wonder. Um, Colleague has done a calculation that says it's it's probably the case based on what we've seen reported in Britain that uh, a, a medical doctor should be discovering evidence of this every 22 minutes in America.
0: Wow! Now I I
1: don't I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying that it is not a small problem. Right. And then there's not least the the difficulty that we have for at least the past oh. 12 years or so, maybe going back pretty much to 9-11, really, Mm -hmm. uh, seen first the Bush administration and then the Obama administration and to some extent even the Trump administration accepting people who are at the leading edge of this Sharia supremacist program uh, in our country, namely the Muslim Brotherhood, Mm -hmm. uh, a, a very dangerous group. Uh, jihadist group um, that uh, professes not to favor violence but they engage in it when they can, notably through their franchise Hamas, a designated terrorist organization. Mm -hmm. But this is a group that uh, has penetrated our government as well as uh, virtually every civil society institution in our country, our our churches, um, Mm -hmm. our financial sector, uh, our academic institutions, uh, our, our popular culture, uh, and, and on and on. And, and the trouble is that their purpose, as the Brotherhood has said in a document that was introduced into evidence, in the largest terrorism financing trial in U.S. history, mm-hmm. their mission in America is, quote, destroying Western civilization from within, by their hands, meaning ours, and the hands of the believers, so that Allah's religion is made victorious over all other religions, unquote. That's the kind of enemy we're up against, and uh, again, we ignore it at our peril.
0: Right. Uh, Frank, was this the document that was discovered on the, the Chesapeake Bay Bridge in the car?
1: Uh, well, <laughs> no. It, the, the, you're right. The, there was a traffic stop on the chesapeake bay bridge back in 2004 and subsequently the uh, fbi raided the home of the couple that was picked up there because the driver was wanted on a material witness arrest warrant out of chicago for fundraising for hamas that designated terrorist group but in his home in annandale virginia a suburb of washington dc were found a whole bunch of documents that made up the archives of the Muslim Brotherhood in North America, one document of which was this one called the Explanatory Memorandum, and that's the document, that strategic plan, a secret plan for destroying the United States from within, by our hands, was discovered at Annandale Home.
0: Okay, Uh, sorry, it it wasn't in the car, it was in the home. Okay, so to destroy Western civilization from within. So they're very they're well thought out, they have a plan, they're working their plan, Uh, you know, because if a door gets shut, I mean, Frank, they don't stop, they just look for another door, right? Uh, Correct. Okay, so, okay, I want to kind of delve into during the eight years of President Obama, a a lot of these Muslim Brotherhood people were, were placed in certain areas of government, were they not?
1: They were. Um, Some of them were actually hired by the government Mm -hmm. and working in jobs, uh, you know, paid for by the taxpayer. Uh, Some of them were working in advisory committee roles. Um, Notably, I just met one the other day, as a matter of fact, one of the most prominent ones who ran for um, eight years, either as the vice president or president, the largest Muslim Brotherhood front in the United States. Uh, His name is Imam Mohammed Majid, and he was the, uh, the past leader of the Islamic Society of North America. And uh, I actually f- caught, him, caught up with him uh, in a, uh, a U.S. government-sponsored event, uh, the ministerial meeting that Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, held last week. Right. So there he was, deep inside the wire, even under the Trump administration. But during the Obama administration, he was on the advisory council to the Department of Homeland Security. And in that capacity, he helped basically blind our law enforcement and military and defense personnel, uh, specifically the Homeland Security people, but all the rest of it's affected as well, to the nature of the danger that he, among others, represents.
0: Okay, but walk us through some of the details. How does somebody like that blind our law enforcement officials? How does, how, just walk us through a couple of examples.
1: Mohammed Majid... Um, is a prominent imam at a mosque complex based in Northern Virginia, the Adams Center, the all Dulles area Muslim society center. Um, He has been running influence operations against um, prominent figures in Washington for many years. Um, He has identified himself in their eyes as uh, a Muslim clerical leader, and outreach partner, uh, he has uh, a coterie of uh, Christians, uh, Catholics, uh, and other Christians uh, and rabbis, uh, Jewish uh, champions who profess that he's a bridge builder and uh, an interfaith dialogue partner that um, they should, uh, you know, help promote. And, uh, and not least during particularly the Obama administration, where they were very, very big on uh, outreach to and embrace of, and for that matter, empowering the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, the fact that he was running the largest Muslim Brotherhood front in this country uh, wasn't a disqualifier as far as they were concerned. It was a validator.
0: Wow. It, it just seems incredible um, the, the level of... Of deception, and I know this is what they operate off of, uh, is that it's okay. In fact, it's what encouraged, there's a word for it, and I know you know what that word is, (laughs) that they're encouraged to lie, you know, to lie. You know, as a Christian, we're not supposed to lie, but I mean, with them, it's okay, right, to lie to get you to where you need to go.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, again, baked into Sharia, that if it will help advance the faith,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, it is perfectly fine. Not not only is it acceptable, it is obligatory. They call it takia.
0: Sometimes these people are in, like you said, advisory roles, such as uh, Huma Abedin. Can you walk us through her past, what you know of? Who was this woman who partnered up with Hillary Clinton for years and was privy to all this high-level information? Who is this woman, and why should Americans? Uh, Why why should we care about who this woman was?
1: Well, she was not in an advisory role. She was an advisor, yes, but she was uh, one of those government employees uh, that I was talking about. Um, She became a special government employee at one point, but she was a full-time employee, um, I believe, starting uh, shortly after she served as an intern for Hillary Clinton in the White House when she was first lady. Um, She went on for another... 16 or 17 years, I think. I believe she's actually still working for her, but she was uh, she was with her at her side through her various roles as uh, uh, First Lady, as um, a Senate candidate, as Senator, as a uh, presidential candidate, as Secretary of State, as a presidential candidate again. Um, she is a very close, confidant of, and uh, an enabler of a lot of what Hillary Clinton was doing, among other things, with that email server. Mm-hmm. Her family business, uh, in which the Muslim Brotherhood set up her father and mother initially, but for whom she and her sister and brother all worked, uh, was something called the Islamic Minority, uh, sorry, the Institute of Muslim Minority Affairs, (IMMA), And its mission for the Brotherhood was trying to make sure that where populations, as in this country, uh, of Muslims are in the minority they should stick to themselves. They should remain Sharia compliant and should eschew uh, you know, integration and assimilation into the larger society. Um, that was a high Muslim brotherhood purpose because uh, that enabled the brothers to dominate that population and in turn to make them more devout, if you will, more radical if some mm-hmm. say, uh, or simply um, more Sharia supremacist. And um, that is a real problem. The fact that this woman um, had access to all kinds of uh, classified information, um, that she was uh, unmistakably, um, you know, uh, taking certain liberties, as was her boss with that classified information. She was helping shape policies that furthered the agenda of the Muslim Brotherhood, something Michelle Bachmann pointed out and was roundly denounced for doing so on the Senate floor by John McCain. But this woman, I believe, um, has a very problematic personal history. uh, I'm not even talking about Anthony Weiner and all of that. I'm just talking about the Muslim Brotherhood piece. And yet she held one of the most sensitive jobs in the entire United States government.
0: Frank, I've got to take a break right here. But when we come back, I'd like to walk through her her family history. If, if I understand correctly, you know who she's connected to, who she's the daughter of, and why Americans ought to care. So we'll be right back.
1: Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio.
0: All right, we're back with Frank Gaffney, and we're talking about why Americans should care about Huma Abedin and, and her close connection. She worked for years and years for Hillary Clinton. She was privy to all sorts of private information, high-level information. And, and so, Frank, I'd like to know, who is this woman who is she connected to who's her family and when did she immigrate here to the united states if you know offhand, um
1: her family uh, as i understand it uh, her mother and father got uh, phds at the university of pennsylvania i believe um and then migrated um uh after she was born in this country to saudi arabia where they went to work for this institute for muslim minority affairs uh, they were set up in that business by one of the top uh, Muslim Brotherhood financiers in Saudi Arabia, who uh, wanted them to work on uh, this project that would help uh, promote this idea that uh, Muslims in non-Muslim lands should stick to themselves and uh, and basically follow uh, the traditions of Sharia. Uh, She uh, went to George Washington University while uh, an undergraduate there. She became involved with the Muslim Brotherhood front group known as the Muslim Students Association. She was a vice president of the organization at George Washington. In that period, uh, she managed to get uh, into an internship role at the First Lady's office. Um, I don't know this for sure, but my suspicion is that this might have been engineered by um, a very important Muslim Brotherhood operative by the name of Abdurrahman Alamudi, who at that time had very deeply penetrated the Clinton-Gore administration. Um, but however, she managed to get in there. She she never left wow. <laughs> Hillary Clinton's side from that point forward. Mm-hmm. But the point is not just that she had access to sensitive information and and handled it uh, at least in a number of cases improperly and I believe illegally. Um, but it's the kind of influence that she was bringing to bear. Uh, she th- there's a quote. Um, I believe it was in the Washington Post a very flattering profile of her back when Hillary was running i think for president the first time in which uh it was discussed uh, that uh, uh nothing was ever discussed in Mrs. Clinton's office about the Middle East unless Homa was involved mm-hmm. um and that she had you know accordingly very considerable uh stroke with her but the, the main thing is that this is just one example of what has happened now for years. And honestly, the, the most worrying thing to me is that the cumulative effect right. of this kind of access to uh, and penetration of uh, high-ranking government offices is to have effectively advanced that mission of the muslim brotherhood Mm -hmm. namely destroying us from within by our own hands first by keeping us clueless about who the enemy is and then having us adopt policies that are interest uh, aligned with their interests but not ours for example there was something as you may know uh, terry and the obama uh, administration called presidential study directive 11 this is a still classified document, but I understand from one who has read it that it was a directive to the United States government to facilitate the overthrow of friendly governments in the Middle East in favor of the Muslim Brotherhood. Oh, wow. A fundamental, you know, realignment of American policy that was followed within weeks by the so-called Arab Spring.
0: Oh my goodness. Okay. Okay, so I'm going back then to this institute of institute of minority Muslim affairs. So the idea is to sell the proposition that the Muslims will come over to America, and they'll they'll stay hunkered down, obeying their Sharia law. But it's just the Muslims obeying their Sharia law, and it's just a small little cluster, you know, little nests of the Muslims. But that's where the lie is, Frank, because we know that they want political um, political. You know, power, they want legal power, and, uh, and so the religion is just, it's almost like a cover. So here's my question. When the Declaration of Independence, you know, it sets forth the value system that America must operate on, you know, which we know is the Christian Judeo value system, so we welcome the Muslims, we welcome non-believers, we welcome anybody, but uh, I guess at the end of the day, it's it's if, if Americans don't wake up and and they begin working their their you know their methodical plan to take over, it doesn't matter what the Declaration of Independence says. If we begin honoring Sharia law anywhere in our country,
1: well, a couple of points, uh, Terry. One is uh, I'm trying to make an important distinction between uh, Muslims who do not follow Sharia right. and those who do. Mm-hmm. Uh, my own personal assessment of this is, if they do not embrace Sharia, if they do not practice it themselves, if they do not want to impose it on others, uh, that is quite possibly evidence that they will be part of the American dream and help our country greatly. In fact, among other things, help us contend with their co-religionists who do embrace Sharia and who do Follow it, and who do want to impose it on the rest of us? So that's point one. Is I, I would not say that it's either small or large numbers of Muslims. It's the number of Muslims who believe that they are called to engage in jihad to impose Sharia on a country that has a constitution that is utterly at odds with it. Right. That is the problem. In fact, we filed a an amicus brief. My organization and others. Uh, with the Supreme Court in connection with the president's efforts to stop importing more jihadists, the so-called travel ban uh, case. The president was absolutely right that he had the authority to do it. The Supreme Court attested to that right. What we want the president to do, and we think the court should uphold, is that as in the past, where we excluded people who were adhering to an ideology that sought the destruction of our country, notably the Nazis and the communists, we should do the same now for Sharia supremacists. Mm-hmm. They, we've got enough. We don't need more, and we shouldn't be bringing more mm-hmm. in. So the question is, in part, how do you uh, you know, ensure that uh, Muslims who come here, A, don't want to overthrow our country, and B, do want to be part of the American dream. And one of the things that you want to stand against in that regard is any institution, any organization, any ideology that says, no, 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 Muslims need to embrace and practice and try to impose this anti-constitutional doctrine Mm -hmm. of Sharia.
0: Well, okay, what power do we have to... Find out what's being taught, just like you asked, and other people have asked. I think it was Rahim Kasam. You know, went into the mosque after the uh, what was it, Sam Bernardino shooting, and he asked the cleric there, you know, what's being taught. So, so, my first question is, what? I mean, do we have to go underground, or our 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 uh, investigators to find out what is being taught at these? Mosque, and what can we do about it? When we do find out a mosque is teaching, you know, overthrow and all that, what are our choices? Well, it's it's very important, I think, to again separate
1: um, a religious practice that has certain traditions from a political and legal and military doctrine that is all about replacing our constitutional republic Mm -hmm. with a theocratic form of government ruling under Sharia. Mm -hmm. And if you're dealing with the first, that is to say, those religious practices that are innocuous, um, those are protected under our Constitution. So we're not talking about doing something to stop that. What we have the right to do, and I believe a legal duty to do, is to prevent seditious, subversive, and ultimately violent efforts to overthrow our country in the furtherance of Sharia. And we have laws on the books that enable us to protect ourselves against that. And I believe that mosques should be monitored to ensure that they're only doing the first and not the second. Mm -hmm. And if they are doing the second, then I think we have legal remedies for taking care of that. And they Mm -hmm. should be followed.
0: Uh, Okay, going back to the Trump administration, what has, in your opinion, what has Trump done correctly? I mean, you say you're in agreement with the travel ban, which he was so ridiculed. I mean, you look at what Merkel did to poor Germany. um, You know, so I was in support of Trump's position the entire time. What other things, in your opinion, has he done well in terms of dealing with this?
1: Uh, I think that that is an example of a different attitude towards the problem and I've I've used as sort of my uh touchstone in all of this a really important speech that he made on the 15th of August 2016 mm-hmm. in Youngstown, yeah. Ohio. Um it was one of the few speeches that he read entirely from the teleprompter. Um it was very carefully done and he didn't want to misspeak and In the course of that speech, he really laid out a comprehensive policy for dealing with this threat, starting with understanding the nature of the enemy. He called it radical Islamic terrorism. Uh, He worked through the fact that it follows and is informed by and and seeks to promote uh, Sharia, this totalitarian ideology. Mm -hmm. Uh, He made clear that we were going to stop importing more of these jihadists, Um, He talked about uh, destroying ISIS, and he also talked about uh, going after the networks that radicalize in our communities, Mm -hmm. by which I believe he meant the Muslim Brotherhood. Mm -hmm. Uh, So one of the things that he has talked about doing since he's come to office, but has not yet done, I'm sorry to say, is designating, as it should be, the Muslim Brotherhood as a terrorist organization. Um, that's, I think, still being discussed. It has not been acted upon thus far, but it it, mm-hmm. uh, it needs to be because uh, it is, in fact, a terrorist organization, and it poses a very, very serious threat inside our own country as well as elsewhere.
0: Right. Okay. All right. Now, I'm going to pivot over to your friend Rahim uh, Kasam, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He wrote a book called No-Go Zones in America, Where Are They?, um, how Sharia law is coming to a neighborhood near you. I, I, explain what this is like now these no-go zones what are, are they in America now? Uh, let's first start with that and what what is it like?
1: Rahim is a very gifted uh, journalist and and writer and uh, observer and analyst. and I think this is a really important book. He uh, started by going, to visit, personally, no-go zones in Europe. So he knew what to look for. And even though there's been a lot of uh, dismissal of the idea that there are such areas where essentially they're called no-go zones because the authorities of the countries involved are fearful to enter them because they they risk being attacked they risk mm-hmm. having their vehicles torched um or you know perhaps uh their their uh, personnel very badly physically harmed mm-hmm. he took the insights that he got from visiting a number of nations in Europe where he found these areas and came back to the United States to see if he found them here and he told me actually on the margins of uh An address he gave to us, which is on YouTube, and I think you've come across it. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, that uh, he actually wanted the title to be different. He didn't want it to be how no-go zones are coming to a neighborhood near you. He wanted it to be how no-go zones are in a neighborhood near you. Wow. Because he found they are here. Um, Mm -hmm. they're, They're not, in many cases, quite as far along in terms of being aggressively uh, off limits to Mm -hmm. uh, the authorities, but they are certainly in formation and they are going to be in due course, uh, exactly like what you see in Europe, which is to say areas that have been claimed uh, to be, you know, Sharia governed zones Mm -hmm. and uh, those who don't practice it or don't uh, help enforce it uh, are not welcome
0: wow all right we're going to be getting to more of an action plan in, in just a couple minutes but i know you interviewed um let's see i'm forgetting her name but i think she was from austria is that right austria mom
1: yes elizabeth sabbatish wolf
0: yes Correct. okay uh just walk us through her story and you know i'm a, I'm a mother and granted my children are grown but i mean she has small children and she's working and she's worried you know, are her children even going to be in her home when she arrives there? Why? Why why is there such angst, Frank, for her over in Austria?
1: Elizabeth is a fascinating and and very impressive woman, uh, notably for her courage. Uh, She spent time as a girl in Iran. Uh, Her father was in the diplomatic service for Austria, where she uh, lives. And uh, so she had firsthand experience um, with Sharia and with what it could do, particularly, I believe she was there during the early days of the revolution Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and saw firsthand uh, how scary this is. Uh, Now she's seeing how scary it is in her own country because of the large number of immigrants that have been taken in there. And the transformative effect, as I said, that it's having on um, her native city of Vienna and others in her nation. And she's fearful for her children because she has neighbors who uh, are refugees, Muslim refugees, who have been installed in, I can't remember whether it's her apartment building or the one next door, Mm -hmm. but uh, her school-aged children Um, are at some risk because Elizabeth has drawn upon her knowledge of Sharia uh, to talk a bit about it. Uh, In one instance, uh, she was blindsided by a journalist who uh, recorded her saying something about uh, how Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, had uh, married one of his wives at age six and consummated the marriage at nine. Mm -hmm. And because she discussed this in terms that uh, made clear that this amounted to pedophilia, um, that this gave offense to Muslims, and she was prosecuted by her government for doing that. So for Muslims Muslims in her neighborhood now, uh, she can usefully... accurately be described as someone who gave offense to Islam, which is, um, uh, I shouldn't say that, it's not that she accurately said that, it's that they perceived it as offensive to Islam. Uh, I think she was just describing the facts, but uh, she's been, uh, you know, punished for having said that, and uh, the ultimate punishment could come at the hands of uh, a Sharia-adherent Muslim at any time, because the... Uh, it is illegal to give offense. It's called blasphemy uh, to Muslims or their faith. And it is a capital offense. You can be killed
2: Mm
0: -hmm. for having doing it. And Frank, we do not want that to be happening in the United States. I mean, I just think of all the moms that I know, and we're all busy. And, you know, most of the people I know, we're not living up in Northern Virginia where it all seems so hectic and it's so diverse and all that. But I think it's important for people to understand this can happen anywhere. It can happen anywhere in the United States. Now we're going to come right back and we're going to be talking about an action plan. What can the average American uh, patriot do? So we'll be right back.
2: Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep.
0: All right, we're back with Frank Gaffney. And before we get into the action plan, Frank, as far as what can the average American mother, father, the average citizen do in their own neighborhoods, because uh, we're, we're all not Frank Gaffneys up in Washington, D.C. area with your kind of knowledge, but I know there, there's an action plan. Can you first, though, explain why did uh, the the Germany leader uh, Merkel, is that her name, why did she allow, what was it, over a million uh, Muslim refugees, immigrants into her country? Why? Why would she do that and not expect it to morph her country into something unrecognizable?
1: It's a very good question, and I, I don't know her innermost thoughts. I, I can tell you what I think was going on. She is, uh, first of all, uh, a woman who grew up under communism. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, she was, I believe, a decorated uh, member of the sort of communications arm of uh, the German secret police, uh, the East German secret police, the Stasi, when she grew up. And so uh, that may have colored somewhat her feelings about um, uh, sort of German uh, uh, guilt German uh, wow. need for Im- improvement, betterment. Wow. Well, there, there's certainly the overlay of, of you know, the Nazi experience. That definitely was informing the Jew- German guilt. But I, I think that there's uh, there may have been something else going on, if you know, born of her experience under communism as well, that uh, uh, West Germany, as it used to be now, Germany, uh, but very much of the West, um, needed to be uh, improved, shall we say. Um, I think that's a consideration. I think another consideration was the Turks were pressing to send these people who had been displaced uh, by the Syrian conflict or, or, you know, privation in other parts of the world, Afghanistan, North Africa, and the like. Um, and she just felt it was uh, Germany's duty to take them in. Of course, it wasn't wow. just to Germany that these people were coming. They wound up, in some cases, um, uh uh coming through Germany and moving on to Sweden and and elsewhere. Uh, But it it was well over a million that uh, came in, and uh, she seemed to be completely unconcerned about the transformative effect it would have on her country. And um, as a result, there's a huge amount of anger at her now uh, on the part of a lot of Germans, including some of her own party, who uh, are living with the consequences of that terrible decision.
0: Well, I mean, because these people are, I mean, they're coming in, they're not assimilating, and then most of them are, what, young men? You know, they're not young, skilled men. They're yeah. young, it's like, unskilled.
1: It's like 70%. Uh-huh. 70% of them are what you might call jihadi-aged young men. Yeah. And as to their skills, I don't know, but it seems as though they're not terribly keen on working in any event. And and that's a, that was another pretext, I think, for her is that, The Germans are simply not reproducing, and therefore there's a population decline. And so bringing in more of these foreigners uh, seemed, I think, to have been – Uh, motivated by the idea that it would result in more workers, it would uh, help prop up the pensioners, uh, and otherwise, you know, offset the effects of population decline.
0: Okay. All right. I can buy into that explanation. All right. Okay. So swinging back to the United States, what can the average American citizen do? What should we be doing, Frank, to be better prepared, uh, more knowledgeable, um, you, know, you know, then we've got elections, you know, because I, oh, I read the article the other day talking about how many, um, you know, Muslims, now to what degree they believe in Sharia law, I don't know, but I read an article that we at record highs of the number of Muslims running for political office all across America. So, what, what do freedom loving patriots need to be doing in their local communities or beyond?
1: There are a number of things. Uh, I, th- I think the first thing is what we've been doing right now, and that is learning about uh, what we're up against. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I call it Sharia supremacism, uh, but also jihad in all of the various forms that it can come. Uh, the most well-known, of course, particularly since nine eleven, by Americans is, uh, is the violent kind. You know, they mm-hmm. fly planes into skyscrapers or the Pentagon and the like, um, or shoot up a, you know, discotheque in Orlando or the like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but beyond that, uh, as we've been discussing, there is also what the Brotherhood calls civilization jihad, which is to say uh, the practice of um, trying to subvert a government when you're not strong enough to use violence. It's not so much nonviolent. It's previolent. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's demographic jihad. There's that phenomenon of migration, just as we've been talking about, or, or outbreeding A native population. Uh, That can be another way of sort of taking over. And then finally, there's a financial jihad. There's something that is called uh, zakat, which is a kind of tax that Muslims are supposed to pay. Uh, And a portion of that tax is supposed to go to jihad. So all of these are things that uh, we call it material support for terrorism, but uh, you put the finance in, the demographics in, the the stealthy Mm -hmm. or subversive kind of jihad and the violent kind. We need to understand all of those. And then we need to begin really going to school on what it will take to stop it. Mm -hmm. And we have a wealth of information about this at our website if people are interested, secure. Freedom.org. Um, I'm given to saying that if you feel as though this is important, but not something you're personally interested in taking up as a cause, um, help those of us who are in the fight.
0: Absolutely. You kind of have to
1: mention the work we do, but uh, we could really use the help at securefreedom.org. You could donate there. That's uh, right. one good site. There are others as well. And then finally, um, to the extent you do want, to help um, personally, there are some specific things, and I'll just take these off very quickly. Sure. One is to begin educating your family, your friends, your neighbors, and and your coworkers. You know, they need to know what you learn about this because all of us are in this fight, whether we want to be or not. Um, they're going to they're going to be working to make all of us submit whether we want to or not, and we need to be smart about it. We need to engage our elected representatives. Uh, As you know, Terry, and I'm sure your audience does, um, there are elections taking place this fall, uh, at least for the next couple of months. All of these politicians are very interested in what you think. Now, that that may not last past the election, but for the next couple of months, you've got their attention. And if you tell them that this is one of the things you're thinking about, you're worrying about, you want to know what they're going to do about it, specifically standing up against Sharia, trust me that will have a very salutary effect on those politicians. They'll begin thinking about it, they'll begin learning about it themselves, they'll realize that there are constituents out there that, uh, that are concerned and, and they will be more so too. Um, I think that we need to ensure that our media is dealing with these issues, uh, both more regularly, uh, more comprehensively, and certainly more accurately. Right. Uh, most yeah. of them have given a pass
0: to oh, all yeah. of this,
1: as you yeah. know. We need to insist that our children are not propagandized in school to make them all practice being Muslims and saying the Shahada, the, uh, the testimony of faith. Uh, you know, going to mosques, uh, dressing like Muslims, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. fasting, and so on. That that that's not something Christians could do, or Jews, or as far as I know, Hindus or Buddhists or anybody else. Right. It's unclear to me how it is that Muslim. Uh, Sharia supremacists uh, can get away with doing it in our schools, in our curriculum. And finally, I just think this is hugely important. Um, We need you to do what we're doing right now, Terry. Mm -hmm. Exercise your freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people who want you to be censored. You may already feel pressure to censor yourself when it comes to talking about these things or, Mm -hmm. or expressing your concerns about them. We mustn't be stifled. We must exercise our freedom of speech, or it will be gone. So those are just a handful of things you can do personally. Well, that's great. And, I was actually taking
0: notes as you went down the list. Now, I know you used to have an uh, like a 10- or a 12-part educational course that somebody could take at, at um, securefreedom.org. Is that still available?
1: It's still there, yeah. And uh, another way to get it is muslimbrotherhoodinamerica.com.
0: In America. It's a free
1: ten-part course.
0: Okay. It's a
1: it's a little a uh, few years old now, but I, I think the the basic um, tenants and information is still accurate and still okay. needed to be understood. So, so thank this, you for calling attention this is attention
0: something to it. Could, that could be shown at churches. I mean, we need to be aware. And then okay, now I'm going on down. So educate family and friends and in your community. Engage the elected officials. Okay, if I was a Muslim Brotherhood um, uh, supporter uh, or part of it, one of the first people I would go to would be the elected officials, or I'd make sure I give him a really handsome donation while he's running for political office. Because the sad part is, money talks when you when you start talking about politics. So are you are you finding that that they're courting people on both sides of the aisle, not just Democrats, but the Republicans too?
1: Oh, Very much so. Uh, Look, and again, this is not in any way meant to say that uh, people, because they're Muslim, shouldn't participate in the political process, uh, whether it's as contributors or voters or candidates for that matter. It is to say, if you can't honestly take an oath of office, you shouldn't be a candidate for office, it seems to me. And you do have the problem of taqiyya. You have people who have sworn an oath, uh, sometimes on a Koran rather than a Bible, but uh, they don't mean it when they say that they will defend and protect the Constitution of the United States because they know it must be replaced by yeah. Sharia. Right. And, and <laughs> it, to those candidates, it seems to me it is imperative that the voters ask them about their fealty to sharia uh, you know and and uh, draw them out on it and again there may be takiya involved there too but at the very least we need to know where people stand who are candidates for office um, right. or supporters of candidates for office who may think that with their candidates uh, in office uh, if they've given enough money or if they've given enough votes uh, they will be able to bend them to their will mm-hmm. and there's a lot of that going on and it is on both sides of the aisle. You're right. absolutely right. But I, I think there's something else at work, and it needs to be said. Uh, as it happens just yesterday, the Attorney General of the United States made a very important announcement that in the interest of protecting freedom of religion,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is, of course, an, an alienable right under our Constitution, as you know, mm-hmm. um, the Department of Justice is standing up, I believe they call it a task force, on uh, religious freedom. And one of the areas that they're going to be investigating is something called the Southern Poverty Law Center's activities. Mm -hmm. uh, SPLC, as it's better known, um, has been an incredibly uh, powerful uh, political warfare instrument. Um, And in particular, people in journalism have done the easy thing which is to simply cite whatever they claim is, uh, is Islamophobic behavior right. or, or hatred or bigotry or racism. Um, and in so doing, they uh, not only become part of uh, the smearing, the slandering of people like me, quite frankly, right. but they also um, help the Muslim Brotherhood in their efforts to, uh, to subvert our country. And um, unfortunately, this is just one example of what I call the red-green axis, the red of the hard left and the green of the yep. Islamists,
0: right. um,
1: making common cause against the rest of us.
0: That's it. And it's,
1: it's, That's uh, it. it's gotta be fought.
0: Well, and then the last little point that you had mentioned was exercise our freedom of speech, which is what we're doing here today. And you have done that, Frank, for years and years, and I commend you for what you're doing. And I mean, you, 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 you and your organization are probably the most qualified to be speaking about this ac- across our country. Um, I want, I do, I want to encourage donors to um, go onto your website securefreedom.org, um, look around, you know, read, learn, donate, uh, because you, you'll be donating to a strong organization. I mean, when I look at the people who are on your staff, your board of directors. I mean, you are so well equipped uh, to speak on these issues, Frank. So keep fighting the good fight um, and uh, God bless you. Thank you for being here. If you have any parting thought, go ahead and say it right now, because now's your chance.
1: <laughs> well, thank you, Terry, for those kind words and uh, and for encouraging people to go to securefreedom.org. I, I think uh, it will help equip them Uh, to engage in what my old boss, Ronald Reagan, used to call um, our time's existential threat to freedom. And he pointed out that uh, we don't pass freedom on through the bloodstream to our children. It has to be fought for, protected, and handed off to them to do the same. And if we don't do it, this was a real kicker, back in 1961 he said, if we don't do it, we will be telling our children and our children's children what it was like to live in America when men were free. We can't do that. And I appreciate your help in fighting the good fight.
0: Thank you, Frank. Thank you for being on What If We've Been Wrong? Thank you. God bless you.